Well, guys, um, I, I want to remind you for the final time uh, that this series is really based on a prayer. And my hope is that you keep praying this prayer. You say, why am I still praying this prayer? It's a prayer about 100 days. We may still be 100 days from the new movement. I have no clue. We still don't have power. Uh, we don't know when that's coming. But it's okay. God's in this. God's got this. Um, but this is, this is our heart, is we want to see the Lord add 100 people to our number. Since the time we began praying this prayer in December, I'm going to ask you to pray it till we move into the new building. Uh, we want to see more people here, specifically in our second service where, where uh, you know, we may have 150, 160 in this service. Our second service, we're like 65-ish. So if you're one of those people that this is too much for you and you'd like a little more room, join us at 11.15 instead. Uh, Want to let you know that. But, um, but this, this was really birthed out of this prayer, right? So we're, we're praying, we're asking God uh, to give us 100 people, $100,000 in 100 days. But it's based on, the title of the series is actually based on a quote. And that quote has been misattributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He never said it, but the quote is well known. So I'm going to put it up on the screen. It goes something like this. Share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And that's kind of the problem uh, in, in our current church culture is we never think it's necessary. And, and that's not what Scripture says. Scripture is very clear. Uh, Jesus commands us to actually go and use our words to make disciples, to teach them everything we know. The Bible says that faith comes through hearing right? That without hearing the gospel, people can't believe. So it's pretty important. And then we know the great need. Jesus looked out at the fields and said, man, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so in this series, I, I shared with you guys that there are over a hundred million unchurched people in the United States of America today. If, if we did that population-wise, um, it, it would be about the 12th largest uh, populated nation on earth. Here in America, unchurched, right? And so you don't have to go across the globe to be a missionary. You just got to grow go across the street. And that, that is what we're trying to bring home. With that in mind, uh, I've got good news for you this morning. Ready? I have a one-point sermon. One main point. You guys are already looking at the notes. You're like, no, there are other points, Pastor. No, those are sub-points. Those do not count in Pastor uh, talk at all. Those are all sub-points. So one point, a few sub-points, um, but it's just one big idea I really want to get across this morning. And here it is. Ready? I, I want you to know this morning that personal invitation is powerful. If there's one thing you remember from this six weeks we've spent together is this one thing. Personal invitation is powerful. There is power in it. Listen, y'all, Jesus was an inviter. That is who he was. It was part of his DNA. He sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to hang out with you. I want to meet your friends. I want to eat with you. I want to do life with you, Zacchaeus. Uh, he sees the children off at a distance and the disciples going, no, this is only for the adults. And Jesus is like, no, kids, come here. You come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like you. Come here, right? He, he's walking and the crowds are going by and there's Bartimaeus by the side of the road and he's just begging, son of David, have mercy mercy on me, have mercy on me. And, and everybody just, he's like, no, get out of here. Get out of here, Bartimaeus. And Jesus stops. He's like, Bartimaeus, come to me. Come to me. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus is like, I want to see. And Jesus is like, your faith has healed you. Jesus is always inviting. And y'all, he invites us too, right? If you've been doing our Bible reading plan, if you haven't, we've got free copies up here. We're in the book of Matthew, but you would have read this week. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is an inviter. And y'all, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, which I hope we do, that means little Christ, that means that we want to be like Jesus. And if Jesus was an inviter, that means that we have to be inviters too. There is power in personal invitation. 
Dr. Tom Rainer uh, wrote a book called The Unchurch Next Door. And in that book, this is what he uh, realized. He said 82% of the unchurched, this is in America, 82% of the unchurched say that they are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. 82% say they are somewhat likely to attend church if we would just invite them. However, Lifeway did a study, and here's the problem, y'all, that said that 81% of Christians either never invite someone or they've only invited one to two people in their entire life, right? Check out this, this next slide, okay? How many times have you personally invited an unchurched person to attend? 48% of Christians said zero, goose egg. All right? Another 33% of people said one to two times ever. Right? That's 81% that have either never invited or they, their whole life they invited one or two people. Now, 82% of people are likely to attend if you invite. Okay? And evidently, there's a huge part of us. Half of us will never invite. The other half of us tried it once or twice. We got the, we, we the 20% that aren't coming and we stopped. Right? And so I just, do you see... The problem, church, we have a world without Christ across the street. And, and they are seriously willing to consider coming to church if we will personally invite them. And the majority of us won't do it. Right? There's a problem. There's a, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. And we've got to get better. So again, if there's one thing I want you to walk away this morning understanding is that there is power in personal invitation. Personal invitation is powerful. Jesus was an inviter. We need to be like Jesus, okay? All right? So now listen, when it comes to inviting people, right? When it comes to inviting others, there's three little side things I want you to know, right? I think they're important. Number one, when it comes to inviting others, uh, uh, sub point one, there's no number on it, right? Dot one. I don't, I don't know how to say that. They didn't cover that in seminary. When it comes to inviting others, we have to know what or who we found, okay? When it comes to inviting others, we have to know who or what exactly we found. Now, I told you if you had your Bibles uh, to join me in the Gospel of John. I'm in John chapter 1. Uh, in John chapter 1, uh, this is what the Word of God says, starting in verse 29. It says, the next day, uh, John, this is John the uh, Baptist, all right, when I say John here, this isn't John a disciple yet. It says, the next day, John uh, the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me the one you see, the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is what John the Baptist is saying. Get this. It says, The next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and he noticed them following, he asked, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Well, come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Now get this, 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and he followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and he told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Right? Notice verse 41. I'll put it on the screen. Right? Notice, notice, what, notice what Andrew says. He goes and finds Peter. He says, we have found the Messiah. He knew what he'd found. He knew exactly what he'd found. Now, now re- just reminder, Israel's been praying for the Messiah for, for years upon years upon years. Right? I mean, the Old Testament prophets said that a Messiah was coming. We had 400 years of silence uh, before the angel of the Lord shows up and, and speaks to John's mom, right? And dad, right? So, so listen, like, they've been praying. They've been waiting. They've been longing. But man, when he meets him, he knows it's him. He knows exactly what to go and tell his brother, man, we have found the Messiah. We read the same thing when we read the story of Philip. Verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and he told him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And, and, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. That, again, that last verse on, on the screen, John 1.45. We have found the one Moses wrote about. He knew exactly who he had found. Philip knew exactly who he had found. Man, this is the Messiah. That's who he is. You know, we studied the story of the woman at the well a few weeks ago. Do you guys remember when we, we had that together, right? A little, little bit of time in the Word there in John chapter 4. I, you know, the same thing happened there. It's amazing. I, I want you to look at that. John 4, 28, 29. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Remember, she was saying, yeah, this is the Messiah. He knows me, and he loves me in spite of knowing me. And and Jesus plain told her he was the Messiah. And she's going, do you think, do you think this could be the Messiah? You should come meet the man that I've met that knows me and that loves me. Come, right? She knew exactly what she had found. So listen, when it comes to inviting others to church, I love you, but I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? See, I'm trying to get to the root of, of why the church of, of Jesus Christ is not inviting people to Jesus Christ. And I wonder, maybe it's a foundational problem that we don't really understand who it is that we have met or what it is that he has done. What has Jesus done for you? Let me ask again. Who is he to you? Is he Savior? Okay, that's great. But what does that mean? Right? See, see in, in, in New Testament time, it was easy for them to say, hey, we found the Messiah. Everyone was looking for the Messiah. Not so much anymore. You use the word Messiah, people are going to look at you like you're crazy. But who is Jesus to you? What does it mean that he saved you? Explain that to me. But what difference has he made in your life? Because that's what the world needs to know. Because when you go out to a world and you invite them to Jesus, they need to know what you're inviting them to. Listen, all I'm telling you is that Jesus knows everything about everything I've ever done, yet he still loves me. He is with me. He lives in me. I'm not alone anymore. I can't fully explain it to you, but it is the work of God, and I know that I'm forgiven, and I've become his child. You need to know who it is that you're inviting people to and exactly what he has done. Right? 
I said last week, not trying to offend you, but if you don't have a story, maybe because it's you don't have a story. If you've never met Jesus, then come meet him today at the end of the service. I'll be down here. Pastor John will be down here. We'll talk to you about who Jesus is, how he can come into your life personally, that you can know God. You can know God. God does not have to be some big mystery in the sky, but you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We would love to talk to you about that. So listen, we, we have to start here when it comes to inviting others. We have to know what or who we found. Secondly, though, when it comes to inviting others, we have to take the initiative to invite those we love and care about. Okay? When it comes to inviting others, we have to take the initiative to invite those that we love and we care about. The initiative to invite those that we love and that we care about. Uh, I, I think this is the best working definition of initiative I've ever found. I, I gave it to you this week. Uh, I think it's in your notes. You don't even have to write it down. But initiative, ready? Taking action without needing further instruction. Oh, I love that. That is so straightforward. What is initiative? It's taking action without need, needing further instruction. Boy, that'd be awesome around the house. Amen, parents? Just, right? When I said clean the room, what did you think I meant? Right? Did, did, I, did I need to give you the list of what a clean room looks like? Because you know what a clean room looks like. It's not hard. It's not hard. Just take the initiative. Go get it done. One time. Just one time. That's all I'm asking for. Or, or even better, without having to say, clean the room, it's Saturday. It just happens. Oh, it'd be amazing, right? Initiative, taking action without needing further instruction. Simple, straightforward. Listen to me, y'all. Jesus did not say to Andrew, Andrew, come follow me. And oh, by the way, when you come follow me, I want you, before you come follow me, I want you to go get that, that brother of yours, Simon, and I want you to bring Simon to me, and I want him to follow me too, because eventually that guy and his statement of faith that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, that'll be what I build my entire church upon. Like, that's not how the story goes. Jesus never said to Andrew, now I want you to go get your brother. Andrew found Jesus, the Messiah, knew who Jesus was, what that meant, and he, because he loved his brother, immediately, he took the initiative to go, I got to go get Simon and tell him to come follow Jesus too. It was natural, y'all. It was natural. And this is what is, is, is so frustrating about the modern church is we don't see that natural movement amongst our people. Unless somebody has just met Christ, they are not an inviter. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. But it was so natural. The same thing, by the way, uh, happened uh, with Philip. Uh, John 1, 43 through 45, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip, told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Uh, Philip then went and found his good friend Nathaniel and told him, Jesus didn't say, hey, Philip, I want you to go get Nathaniel for me. Philip just like, hey, dude, Nathaniel's like my best friend. I got to go tell him that I found Jesus. I just got to tell him. It was the same thing with the woman at the well. John 4, 25 through 26, right? The woman said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming. Uh, when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. Jesus says, that's me. I, the one speaking to you, am the Messiah. Then verse 27, the disciples come back. Then verse 28 and 29, we read this. The woman left her water jar, went into the town, and told all the people. Now, why'd she tell everybody? Right? Well, who does the Lord tell you to love? Are you just supposed to love the easy folks? <laughs> right? 
He says, love your neighbors. Now listen, the whole town knew about this woman. The whole town knew about her reputation. So she figured, I'm just going to go tell the whole town. Right? And so she does. She told the whole town. She told all the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And that's what we do when we understand who we found. So I ask you again, who is Jesus to you? What have you found in Jesus? Right? Okay, so listen, when it comes to inviting people, these things are really, really important. We have to know who or what we found. We have to take the initiative to invite those that we love and care about. And then finally, uh, at some point, we have to lead the people to Jesus. And then we just have to leave the results to him. Our job is to lead the people to Jesus and to leave the results to him. Now, this is not uh, easy pass evangelism. Okay, so let me, I'm going to say very specifically to you, I want you to hear me clearly, we're talking about invitation, the power of personal invitation, okay? Personal invitation is usually not a one-time thing. Can you write that down somewhere? Personal invitation is not a one-time thing. Most people probably are not going to respond the very first time you invite them. Hey, man, you need to come to church with me. You need to hear what God is doing. You need to, you need to be in this parent. Like the very first time you invite them, they're probably going to be like, ah, maybe a little busy. We got, we got some softball going on. There's a little bit of basketball, soccer starting up, right? Like they're going to have their reasoning, right? So that first, so, so listen, when I, when I say you got to lead the people of Jesus, I'm not saying like an easy invite. In fact, invitation, personal invitation usually is a process. It's going to have to happen several times. And get this, after they accept the invitation, you know what starts then? Discipleship, baby, right? That's what Jesus said, is to make a disciple. What does that mean? To teach people everything I know? So then I start doing life with somebody. That's not short either. So what are you saying, pastor? Here's what I'm saying. Ready? Our job is to share, to invite, to tell what we know, to love, and to encourage. Our job is not to save, and it's not to grow. That is only God's job. That's God's job. Our job is to do what God has told us to do, which is to go and and to be witnesses, which is to go and to make disciples. So our job is to invite and to encourage, to tell people what we know, right? Our, our, Our job is to be there for them. But listen, you are not responsible for saving somebody. You actually can't do that. That's impossible. Only God can save somebody. But God can use you to save somebody. Does that make sense? So you have to do what God's called you. You've got to do your part, but then you've got to trust God with his part. This is how the Apostle Paul put it, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's all about God is the only one that can do that. So what is our job? Ready? Our job is to plant seeds and to water. That's our job. Biblically speaking, that's it. And church, if we would focus on those two, oh my gosh, the world would be different. The world would be different, okay? So I want to remind you of our goal. And, and y'all, when I say I'm reminding you of this goal, this goal doesn't end with this series, amen? Okay? Our goal, our DNA, who we want to be, the new FBCE, right? That's us. The new one. I know we ain't in the building yet, but we are the people already. God's already changing us. He's making us new. The new FBCE, our motto, every member is a missionary. Not just a minister, but a missionary. God has put you where you are. He's put people in your path on purpose so that you can be a light unto them. 
There are some people in Elgin, Texas, uh, in, in, as we expand, uh, Bastrop, Texas, Maynard, Texas, Lexington. There are some people in Austin, Texas, where you work, that the only way they're going to be open to hearing the gospel is through you and your life. Because of what you've gone through. You're the one. That you. You're going to be the one. Your life, your testimony is going to be the thing that opens the door of their heart so that they can hear about the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will use that, will use the Word of God to save that person. Okay? It's, it, it's huge. It's, it's awesome. So every member is a missionary. So what do we do uh, because of this message? I'll, I'll give you a little bit of application. And I'm going to let you go. Number one, uh, I really think part of our problem is, is this. We, we need to remember the joy of our salvation. Okay? I want to challenge you this week to go back. Go back. I mean it. This is homework. Write it down. I need, Lord, what was my salvation like? Remind me of it. Go remember the joy of, you, of your salvation. So, so uh, listen, uh, the angel of the Lord in the book of Revelation is writing to the churches saying, hey, yet I, you've been good in some things. I hold this against you. Uh, so to the church in Ephesus, the angel of the Lord is writing. He's like, man, you guys have killed it when it comes to uh, like testing false teachers and all those kind of things. But he says, like, there's one problem, and it's kind of a biggie. You've forgotten exactly who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You've lost your first love for him. You've just lost it. And so here's the instruction, Revelation 2, 4 through 5. But I have this against you. Man, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. So here's the instruction. What do you do when you have forgotten who Jesus is and what he's done for you? What do you do when you have lost the joy of your salvation? Ready? Here it is. Remember it. You just remember it. You got to think about it. You got to spend time remembering the sin that you were in and, and how distant you felt. And, and just the, the you, right, you, that distance, it's hard, to, it's hard to explain. But the death that you were under when Christ set you free, you just got to remember your salvation. You have to remember not that just that Jesus saved you, but then that he's been with you through it all. That he's never left you, that he's always been there. You have to, that's going to bring you joy, right? So listen, life is hard, but Jesus is good, right? Anybody else, that's your testimony? Life is not easy. This world is fallen. Sin runs rampant, including in our lives, right? We fail. We mess up. We feel like we're not good enough. Yet here's Jesus going, come to me. I love you. I want to eat with you. I want to spend time with you. I, I want to change you. I will use you if you'll let me. Right? This is Jesus. This is the Jesus of Scripture. And we just have to remember that joy. We've got to get it back. And friends, I'm telling you, if you don't have it right now, man, you, you, you got to remember it. The second thing you got to do is you got to pray for it. Right? Uh, David, Psalm 51.12, said, uh, this is a prayer, Restore the joy of your salvation. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. That's a prayer. <laughs> He's going, God, I'm, I'm trying to remember who you are. I'm trying to remember what you've done. But man, would you, would you help me? Give me back my joy for you. Give me back my passion for you. David's somebody that knows what it's like to blow it. Amen? That's the camp I, I, I tend to dwell in. I don't know about you. But I, I'm, often, I'm often that guy. And sometimes when you're that guy, your heart, you feel like you're not good enough for the Lord. You're living in shame. Your head is down, so you're not seeing the glory above. By the way, that's one of Satan's really good tricks. Right? Guilt leads us to repentance. Repentance is when we come before God and we say, God, I'm, I blew it. 
I'm so sorry. 1 John 1, 9 says that if you'll confess your sin, God's faithful and just. He forgives you of your sin and purifies you. He lifts up your head. God is the lifter of your head. Okay? Satan is the one that's always pulling it down. All right? So if you're walking around in life and you're feeling like junk about yourself, you're like this, oh my gosh, I'm not very good. You're a spiritual Eeyore. Okay? If that's, where's my tail? Um, I don't know where I put it. Um, if that is you spiritually speaking and you have lost your joy, then I'm going to tell you maybe Satan's got a hold of your head and it's down instead of up because God's the lifter of your head. So what has happened is you have sinned, we all sin, but you haven't dealt with it biblically. Biblically is I confess it, okay, and, and it, maybe you're like, but I did confess it, but I still feel horrible. Then you don't understand Jesus. Then you don't know who he is and what he does. 1 John 1, 9, Jesus, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He purifies, he forgives us and pure, he makes us pure. That's who he is. So don't walk around with your head down going, I'm such a mess. Yeah, we're all a mess and Jesus is great, so look up to him. That's the joy of salvation. That Jesus is bigger than any sin I can ever commit. That I'm a child of God and that can never be taken away, ever. Ever. I am a child of God. Right? Depending on your translation, either I have a whole house in the kingdom, or I got a room, and I got to be honest, I don't care. My father's house, that's my final destination, can never, ever be taken away from me. Right? Man. So that's the first. Remember the joy of your salvation. Number two, I want to challenge you to pray for those that you love and those that Jesus tells you to love. <laughs> pray for those that you love and for those that Jesus tells you to love. And so we began, right, we, we know who Jesus is, we know what he's done for us, and so we begin our prayer, praying for our family and our loved ones. God, I want them to know you. God, use me that they might know you. Let me boast about you to them. Like, like it, it begins there, it starts with your friends, but then, then it moves on to your neighbors. Maybe you don't know them very well, but I'm gonna now intentionally build a relationship with the people across the street, next door and to the right, and the people that I run into at the store, right? Because I'm now interacting with people, not living in fear, walking in faith. And uh, as I interact with real hurting people, I get to know them, and I love them, and I love them enough to tell them how good God is to share the joy of the Lord with them. That's what I'm going to do, right? And then I move on beyond that. I'm not just now loving my family. I'm not just loving my neighbors. I'm now doing the Jesus hard stuff, like loving my enemies and those that want to persecute me, right? So this is you. You start living in joy. You start trying to share the joy of the Lord with others, and somebody shuts you down. I got you, right? You're welcome. Welcome to the sermon. I'm glad you're awake. You do it. Some just, they're stamping out your joy. I hate joy stampers, right? But you know what? It shouldn't be able to be done. It only happens if you let them, right? So this is what happens. So you go, you go trying to share joy. They're just stamping out your joy, right? Well, guess what? The Bible says love them, right? So you just start doing it with them. And they're like, what are you doing? It's the joy of the Lord, man. Let's do it together, okay? And we start loving them and we keep sharing Christ with them. We find a rhythm with them. We just keep pouring into them. Even if they persecute. Even they try to stamp out. Man, we take the stamp and we make it into a dance of joy. Let's go. 